This is The Varsity, a sports podcast from The Record North Shore, your nonprofit local news site. The Varsity is presented by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute, with more than 150 fellowship-trained physicians in every orthopedic specialty and dozens of locations across Chicagoland and the suburbs. IBJI is your choice for patient-focused orthopedic care. To find the nearest location, visit IBJI.com. Howdy, folks, and welcome to the latest episode of the Varsity Podcast, the podcast where we get you all caught up on the craziness of high school sports postseason action here. We've got a lot of stuff talked about, so we are going to jump right into it. I'm Michael Dwojek with the Record North Shore founding members Joe Coughlin and Martin Carlino. Uh, we're going to do our usual four-quarter format this week. First quarter, recap everything that happened. In the second quarter, we are going to... Uh, do a podcast first here, and we're going to have two interviews take place um, in the second quarter. We're going to be joined by New Trier, uh, boys tennis player Max uh, Bankston, and uh, Loyola Academy girls lacrosse player Ellie Lazaretto. In the third quarter, we play our weekly guessing game of Way or No Way. And then in the fourth quarter, we are going to uh, preview what is, re- what is left of the postseason action and also talk a little bit about the summer because um, – after this weekend, there are no more live sports taking place uh, officially. Obviously, there's summer leagues and that kind of stuff, but um, postseason-wise and competition-wise, that is it for the year. But uh, just a quick reminder before we get started that you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that they're available. If you're a first-time listener, uh, make sure you listen to old episodes as well. They're always current and fun. Uh, give us a review. We're anywhere that podcasts are available, Apple, iTunes, um spotify android what have you we are all there so while we jump right into it and why don't we start with uh the biggest news of the weekend and that is the new trier boys tennis team where we previewed last week and talked about how it would be a two uh dog race pretty much between new trier and hinsdale central and that's exactly what we got um and we got a uh, new trier after they took advantage of an early uh um, win against Hinsdale Central early in the tournament. Uh, the Nutria Boys tennis team rebounded and won the stage championship. Um, they're led by uh, Max Bankston, who won the single state title for the first time for the program in a while. Um, Colin Fox and John Rogers finished second in doubles, while Matthew Plunkett and Jay Wegg finished fourth in doubles. Um, Joe, I know that you're out there and uh, it seemed like this, we were talking about how much this boys tennis team has been dominating this year and just uh, for the past decade. But um, it really seems like in this uh, tournament from Thursday to Saturday, uh, things really clicked for the Trevians and they were able to put together a state title. Yeah, you know, it was pretty clear, um, as we talked about last week, that it was going to be Hinsdale Central and New Trier um, battling for first, just like it has been the past few years. So, um Three straight second place finishes, of course, not including 2020 when there was no no postseason and no season. Um, but uh, they, they went head to head again and they both had top entries across the board. Both their doubles, both their singles were, were ranked very highly in the top 10. Um, and so it came down to who would win quarterfinal matches. And why I say quarterfinals is because a win is two points uh, on the main draw and in the back draw, it's one, I believe. But a quarterfinal win which assures you a, uh, a place, um, a top five place, a top six placement, um, a quarterfinal win is four points. So those are huge. And Nutrier got a big quarterfinal win um, over a Hinsdale Central team 
uh, on the double side. And of course, Max Bankston on the single side for Nutria went, uh, went, the, went the whole way and, and faced the number one seed. Uh, Bankston was the two seed. He faced Max Sheldon, who was the one seed out of Percy in an epic final match. Um, and believe it or not, that, that's only two points winning a state title, um, less than the quarterfinals. But, um, you know, they already knew the team title by the time Max took the court on Saturday and the, by the time their doubles team also played um, for a state title and finished second. But um, they already knew it. So really it was just, you know, what can Max do and what can the double team of, uh, of uh, Colin Fox and John Rogers do? And Max went down 05 early to Sheldon. And that was uh, kind of a big blow. He told me that that doesn't happen to him obviously often, you know, the second best player in the state, it's not going to happen often. You know, even if he's playing awfully, he said he, he, he picks up a game in a, in a set or a couple at least. Um, so he said in the middle of that set, he or said he was able to refocus, which I found so interesting because there's not like a bunch of breaks. Sure. You switch sides, um, but you don't get like 15 minutes to really just calm down and reset yourself in the middle of a set. Uh, but he said he was, and he was able to focus on hitting the ball, striking it, harder and the way he likes to and moving Sheldon around a little bit. And so while he lost that set six, three, he picked up six, three games. And he said, and coach Ted Ecker told me that that's when he won the match because the next two sets, he felt like he really got to Sheldon, had him move side to side, have him move around, really tired him out. It was, it was 90 degrees um, early. The match was at 1030. It was already 90, 95 felt like a hundred. I feel like on the court, maybe even hotter. So, uh, he tired out, so he gave a lot of uh, – Sheldon tired out, so he gave a lot uh, – Max gave a lot of uh, credit to his fitness and being able to withstand that heat and that energy um, and pulled it out. So congrats to Max, and, and they really got points across the board. Even their freshman um, singles player won three times. He won his first three, lost in the quarters, and then lost the first – he actually lost uh, to Max Sheldon, um, but he lost uh, – in the first round of the consoles too, but um, pretty cool for uh, their freshman Nikita Phelan to win three matches in his first state tournament. And then Matthew Plunkett and Jay way, who are uh, the second doubles team um, finished fourth overall. So they had a second, the second place in the fourth place finishers. Um, they won four matches. Fox and Rogers won five before losing a, a pretty epic final bout against uh, Blake Rogner and, uh, Danielle Saeed out of Naperville Central that went three cents. Um, so it was it was an epic tournament. And, and Ecker told me that uh, he was really happy with the turnout. A lot of a lot of fans really enjoying high school tennis, high level tennis. He said in the senior class across the state that showed its uh, showed its face throughout the tournament and good stuff. But Nutrier's top dog, and they proved it again. Based on uh, reading your story, it seems like they were pretty motivated just heading into this. I mean, I know they have four seniors and. Um, obviously, Hinsdale Central is one of the teams that kind of kept them from getting to that state title that kind of you're in. Um, based on your comments uh, with Eckert, it seemed like they were pretty motivated uh, heading into the tournament. Very motivated. Um, and, you know, Eckert kind of alluded to that, but uh, Max confirmed it, that they, they needed that. And a tie with Hinsdale Central just wouldn't have been good enough after three second place finishes. Um, so... After Friday is a three-day tournament. After Friday, um, they had already assured themselves of a tie with Hinsdale Central. They performed that well in the first two days. Uh, but Bankston told me that, you know, they were still hungry going into the final day 
all they really needed was one win and, and actually Hinsdale Central lost right away by a, a forfeit um, for some cramping for one of their singles players. So they actually won before they took the court, but they were ready to go. And you could tell that Max won his match and um, Fox and Rogers had an epic three set battle in the, in the championship. So really cool stuff. They really wanted that title. It's funny out of their six uh, total individuals that were there um, of their entries. I think he said, Four of them were seniors two years ago or were sophomores two years ago on the varsity team and lost in the quarterfinals, which we talked about is so important because you get four points for those wins. So they remembered. Um, they brought that chip on their shoulder all the way, well, all the way to Hersey, um, but they brought it with them um, and uh, <laughs> made it work for them. Bit of a breaking through a glass uh, glass ceiling type of moment with the three, stri- three straight second place finishes. Uh, Almost feels like the uh, Jordan Bulls finally conquering the uh, the bad boys in the '90s in basketball. So, really <laughs> awesome to uh, to see him uh, get over the hump and get over Naperville Central and win that state title. They, I mean, they do have I think 22 state titles now, so maybe not. Again. <laughs> but no, I get. I mean, you know, you lose that many times. Uh, it is like that where you got a nemesis now, um, and you know they were they were going head to head. So it was. They were very happy. Well, congratulations to them on winning the state title. And we hear more about them in the second quarter when we are joined by Max uh, Bankston. But why don't we move on over? We got a lot of sports to keep on talking about. And let's move on over to the lacrosse. And we're starting off with uh, girls lacrosse, where um, I was there on Friday to uh, watch Nutrier and Loyola take take uh, uh, a fight in the state, what should have been the state title game, but was actually in the sectional final game. Um, and what was a thrilling game between the two teams um, and where Loyola won 13 to 12 in overtime um, off of a uh, Ellie Lazarado uh, free shot. Um, it was a wild atmosphere, a lot of fun to be uh, down. And um, it was crazy because uh, the Ramblers did not look like they were ready to play at the beginning of the game. Um, it just seemed like Nutrier from the beginning was um, essentially running the same play. They were basically going behind the net. Someone was running toward the net. They passed it and they scored. And um, after a while, after the first three goals, Loyola called a timeout and um, coaches were not happy. They were not really pleased what was happening and um, because it was basically the same play that just kept on hurting them. And um, obviously you can't really do that against a team like Nutrier. So um, the Loyola got all the way down to 7-1. And um, after talking to the game um, with Ellie Lazaretto, um, I didn't realize that the Ramblers were actually in the same spot as they were two years ago, down seven to one against Detroit in the sectional final. They lost that game, but um, the Ramblers came back to win 13, 11 or 13, 12 um, after a wild play. They were down 12 to 10 with three minutes remaining when uh, Loyola goaltender Caroline Smith um, made a play on the ball behind the net to make sure that her team got possession of the ball Um with uh, some time left and um, moved the ball down the field and slow and trap scored with 56 seconds left in the game. Um, And then Ellie Lazarado um, after Loyola got possession of the ball off the face off. um, She scored rushing toward the net with 46 seconds left in the game to really get the um, Loyola crowd going. And then um, Ellie Lazarado scored um, in, in overtime um, to really, uh, to really put the nail in the coffin for uh, mm-hmm. the Ramblers. Um, really a, a tough game for both teams. 
Uh, both teams are really excited to play in this game, obviously, when the two teams are playing against each other. But um, for Loyola to come back down 7-1, Ellie um, Lazzarato has obviously been one of the better players in program history, but she really stepped up. But um, really, a lot of these players just stepped up for a critical moment, guys, where uh, these two teams knew what was at stake um, when they were playing, especially in the final few minutes. Yeah, and does that turn out now, Michael, where it's been a clean sweep this season for the Ramblers on the girls' lacrosse side over Nutrier? I know that yeah. was the third time they've played, and that's the third time in a row they've got them. Um, and I believe every game has had that element of a, of a come-from-behind um, victor to it. I, I think in both the previous two games, um, Loyola was also down early in those games and then came back to win, so – um, got to applaud the resilient the resilience of that team and their willingness to uh, to keep fighting after falling down early and um, you know after reading your story Michael down seven to one to, to come back from that that's just tremendous uh, resilience and effort there yeah and that's an you know that's a large lead against a good team you know maybe if oil is down to the team out of the caliber of Nutrier it's not as large but that's that's Nutrier we're talking about is holding a seven one lead so uh, pretty epic comeback, pretty historic one um, for Loyola to, to do that and finish things off in overtime. And what can you say about Elio Lazzarato? Eight goals, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, including, you know, just taking over down the stretch and um, getting that penalty shot in overtime. Um, pretty, pretty impressive stuff to finish her career, to start finishing career. They're still going and they won last night. And I think they have a, a semifinal bout uh, tomorrow, which would be Thursday. This pretty good, uh, pretty good example right there of uh, leading by example. I know she's one of their senior captains, and uh, seems like every time we've recapped one of their games, she has six or seven goals this season. So, um, you know, big time player stepping up in a big time moment. Definitely, and the Ramblers took care of business against St. Ignatius in their super sectional, so they are heading back to state where um, they will obviously be looking to uh, win a state title. They take on against. Hinsdale Central in a game that we'll talk more about in the fourth quarter about how it makes no sense that Loyola is playing Hinsdale Central in uh, in the state semifinals, but um, that is what they will have uh, going on, and we'll talk more about that in the fourth quarter. And uh, let's move over now to boys lacrosse, where, Joe, I know you were there to watch the boys version of the matchup uh, between Loyola and uh, Nutria for the sectional final, and um, it seemed like Loyola was able to uh, – Escape with the 11-9 win that the Ramblers uh, were able to uh, reverse uh, the curse, I think it is, right, from uh, what they've been going on for. Um, I mean, the, the curse is still – The curse holds. Oh, right, 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 right. The curse yeah, still holds. Never, so, Nutrier beat them in the regular season, which means right, right, right. Nutrier loses in the postseason. That's just how it goes. It's written in stone somewhere. I got to find that tablet, but it's out there. So – Similar start, almost the exact same start, Michael, is, is uh, Nutrier jumped out to a 3-0 lead. Now, in the girls' game, they extended that lead, but in the boys' side, uh, Loyola fought back pretty quickly, so took that 4-3 lead. They jockeyed a little bit, um, but Loyola took control of that game by halftime, 6-4. And right out of the half, Nutrier had a three-goal burst, so they were up 7-6 and really led by Jesse Shapiro, senior um he's a top of the key type of guy who just has a killer uh killer shot from there from about 17 20 yards um really just fires it whenever he sees an opening and um he had i think uh, i want to say five but maybe four goals on the evening with just that shot so uh he he was hurting them but they 
they clamped up and um, kind of stopped Nutrier from any runs from there. You thought Nutrier might have one run left, uh, but Loyola locked it down. So Loyola kind of went on their little run, got that lead, and just staved off any Nutrier comeback from there. Uh, big part of it was winning the faceoff, winning the draws. Um, they probably won. Um, I wish I had the stats. Um, I probably would say 60, maybe 70% of them from that point. Um, so they really held possession, um, took care of the ball too. And uh, Nutria just couldn't, couldn't mount a comeback. Um, I think Loyola scored. And a lot of, a lot of Ramblers scored too. Um, I think out of the uh, – they had seven different people score, seven or six, uh, and only one multi-goal scorer. So well-rounded effort. The key though – according to um, Coach Snyder um, with Loyola, was the zone defense, which they had never played before. That blew my mind. I thought maybe they tested it out against a team or two. Bold strategy. But they, you know, he saw that the heat was going to be there, um, and he thought that would be a good way to rest his, uh, rest his attack um, because there's less movement in the zone. You obviously cover a zone instead of man-to-man, um, so you're not running around with Nutrier as much. You're sticking in the zone, and – yeah, it certainly made a difference, he thinks. And after they figured out Shapiro, because also similar to a basketball zone, you, you kind of allow shots on the perimeter. So they let uh, they allowed some from Shapiro, but they once they figured that out and, and Nutrier was really kind of boggled and um, they kind of they didn't run away with it. You're not going to run away with it against Nutrier, but um, they 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 cinched it uh, running down the stretch with that zone and they looked fresh. And he thought he he, he said that was key. So. He said they thought about pulling it once Shapiro made a few, but he didn't. So good thing they stuck with it. And Loyola moves on too. And they'll move on to the state uh, final uh, four as they took care of business against St. Arita 14 to five on um, Tuesday night. So they will also move on to the state final, but we're going to move on over now and we'll talk about um, the Nutra baseball team, which really, uh, if you listen to this last week's podcast, we were, a little hesitant, not sure they were able to make some noise, but they really uh, had quite the tournament run, taking down Lane Tech 9-7 to um, and then OPRF 9-8 to win their sectional before um, losing on Tuesday to La- or Monday to Lake Park 7-2 to in their super sectional matchup. Marty, I know that you were there for two of those games. And um, just what, what did you see from uh, the new true baseball team in these three games in their sectional and super sectional run that uh, – really helped them get to this moment. Yeah. As you mentioned, Michael, just really an incredible run from this team. And, um, you know, baseball is so much of a game of getting hot at the right time and then building off that momentum. And that was really, a key, really what we saw from this team. I mean, they really peaked at the right time in the postseason. You talked about that stretch, Michael, but it started off with a victory over Maine South, which got them twice in the regular season. They come back, they beat them at home and then, Two days later, they go on the road and they play the one seed, Lane Tech. They fall down early in that game and they storm back and I think plate nine runs in total on Lane, who was the one seed and who had, um, you know, two college division one pitchers pitch in that game and they come back and they beat them on the road. And then two days after that, they go on the road and they face, I believe, that who was the two seed, Oak Park and River Forest, and um, they lead for the game's entirety um, and, and, pull off a dramatic thrilling win at the end there that game was uh one of the best high school baseball games I've ever covered just a a back and forth punch punch for punch affair you know Nutrier went into the bottom of the sixth inning up six to three uh, and then OPRF came back with three runs to tie the game at six and it sort of felt like 
all the momentum had shifted to, to their side, to their dugout. Um, it kind of felt like Nutria was hanging on by a thread. Lead-off batter in the top of the seventh, Lewis, Florida, comes up. Full count, crushes a home run over the right field fence to, get, to literally swing the game back into Nutria's favor um, and put them on top seven to six. They scored two more in that inning to make it nine to six. Uh, and then OPRF didn't go down without a fight. They scored two in the bottom of the seventh. And uh, Sam Zachs came into the game to get the final out on a ground ball with the bases loaded. And uh, talk about a dramatic finish. That game had it all. Um, but then they sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, just ran out of gas a little bit, I think, against this Lake Park team on Monday. Uh, they ran into their ace, Jackson Kent, who was a, uh, a left-handed pitcher who I believe is a Division One commit himself. And he just had everything working on Monday night. He had all three of his pitches really, really good fastball from the left side. He was a left-hander. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a radar gun, but I'd see, I'd be surprised if that fastball wasn't touching 88, 89 miles an hour. Um, he had a nice breaker, good changeup, kept the Trevs off balance. Um, Lake Park had jumped out to a two nothing lead early in the game. And uh, in the second inning, I wasn't believe. And then the Trevs came right back to score two of their own. Uh, but then uh, Lake Park had added some insurance runs in the fourth and the fifths. And, uh, the Trevs just didn't have one more run left in them. Uh, I, I talked to, Col to Coach Mike Napoleon afterwards, and he was very pleased with the uh, with the run of this team and and the you know the great postseason um, play that they had going into the uh, to the final eight. I mean, they were one of the team's final eight uh, remaining, one of the state's final eight remaining. So just a, a really incredible run and a lot to be proud of. Uh, but they just, as we've talked about before, ran into a to a great pitcher on his best day. And uh, that Lake park offense gave him enough runs where it was uh, too tall of a task for the Trevs to overcome. Definitely a fun run. And uh, we've talked about this with baseball where obviously anything can happen, especially when you got a pitcher and um, that was exactly what happened for Nutria. So that was a fun run and a fun memory, especially for a lot of the players um, down the road. But let's move on over now to girls soccer where uh, the Nutria girls soccer team um, won their sectional title two to nothing um, against Evanston. And then they got into a double overtime affair against Libertyville on Tuesday night where uh, the Trevians unfortunately lost one to nothing. And Joe, I know you were there for uh, both matches. And uh, what did you see uh, happen there in, a, in a, a sectional win and obviously a very tough super sectional loss? Yeah, we'll start with the sectional win against Evanston. Two, two very, I mean, at this point, of course, everybody's talented, but the rivalry, you know, adds a little dynamic to the game, gives it a little bit more oomph, and I think it played out that way. Um, you know, Nutria is pretty deadly on the set pieces, and I think their size uh, is uh, superior to Evanston's, and that way they use their advantage. Evanston might be a little quicker, and that's where some of the danger came in. I think Evanston turned around turned around a few um, a few plays in the midfield to make for some threats, but nothing too serious. Um, Nutria back line was great with um, Mia Sedgwick and uh, Jenna Birdsell, but, and they scored early with a, uh, a cross from Alex Worth uh, to the shoulder, chest, neck region of Morgan Fagan, who just kind of ran through the ball. You know, I, I talked to her. It was funny. I talked to her about it. And I couldn't really see how she got the ball to the net. It looked pretty strategic because it was aimed down into the corner as the goalie was charging on the cross. And uh, I was like, that was a pretty sweet, you know, direction, directional strike by you. 
And, you know, did, did you get a head on it? Did you get, what was it? She's like, I'm not even sure. <laughs> uh, she just ran through it. She thinks she got a shoulder chest area uh, on it and she just ran through it. And it, you know, she, she kind of aimed her body down and that's how it bounced by the goalie. So that was pretty cool. And in the second half, just an, a, a nice little serve on the direct kick by uh, Birdsell right to the, a little mini touch, kind of like a hockey goal, a little redirect from Kate Dobsch uh, to make for the second goal. So it was 2-0, like I said in the podcast last week, predicted. But uh, so they took out Evanston. Very good program there at Evanston. Uh, I thought Nutria with that maybe could have some goal-scoring momentum going into the sectional, super sectional, playing Libertyville, trying to avenge that loss, only loss of the year is to Libertyville. Um, they just couldn't put it in the back of the net, guys. It was I'm sure it was maddening for the coaching staff and the players because clearly they were trying to put it in the net, but obviously, uh, and from the sidelines for me, I was, you know, I was waiting for it because um, in the first half of that matchup, um, you know, they had more corner kicks. Nutrier did. I think they had four or five and they had more time spent in the Libertyville zone, but nothing too dangerous, nothing they put on goal that really caused the Libertyville goalie to, to sweat or the defense, I don't think. Um, Libertyville, though, similar to Evanston, they can turn around quicker, but they're a little more uh, – I think they are faster. Their girls up front can, can move, man. Um, so they would turn around a couple kicks and, and really skilled placement and get behind the neutral defense relatively often. We're talking about four or five times a game um, they'd get there. And whether neutral could recover – or that, you know, they put maybe put the ball a little too far, that would happen. Um, but a couple times they put it in the right place, and, and when Haig, the goalie, would come up with some big saves. One time at the end of the first half, uh, a cross came right out in front of the net, and when Haig made a big save right as the buzzer, right before the buzzer sounded. Um, so they were more dangerous, uh, the Wildcats were. Uh, but in the second half, Man, and uh, I could go on and on about this because it just seemed like a goal was imminent. They were all – Nutria was all around the goal, just putting stuff, putting shots wide, putting them over, um, or maybe just getting right around the, the penalty area and not putting one on net, maybe one too many touches. Um, and no offense to anybody uh, on the Nutria attack. They, I think they really just lack that killer, um, you know, the Michael Jordan, if you will, of the team that just scores goals. Um, that's what they do. They turn and they fire. In the past, they've had that with, we talked about it, Emma Weaver, uh, Kelly Mayday, Maddie Mulford, um, where they could finish really strong. That was their skill. This team put Kate Dosh up there, who is a midfielder defender going to Wake Forest, and recently. So I think she was still learning the tricks of the trade, and um, she was also swarmed every time she touched the ball. Um, they just didn't have they, – they couldn't put it in the back of the net, not for lack of trying, um, not for lack of shots, especially in the, the first overtime um, and, the, and the regulation. So it was a tough loss. The goal that Liberty finally scored was on a counterattack. Um, Birdsell told me after the game that uh, it, it was a bit of confusion on the back line. They thought that they handballed it, she said. Um, so a bit of a pause. I didn't notice that. And uh, that kind of a through ball went to Avery Gleason from Libertyville and she just fast, just lightning quick to the ball, one touch shot at far post and into the net. And that was it. Um, you know, four more minutes, but as Marty likes to say, they parked the bus back there. Libertyville did. And it was, that was it. Um, they couldn't get anything 
Mendon were gone. So tough loss that ends a streak of six straight seasons of Nutrier collecting a state trophy, going to state, winning the super sectional. Uh, and they won't be there this year. So that name will be missing from the state final four. I'm curious, Joe, quickly for historical content context, can you remember a team beating Nutrier twice in one season as Libertyville do? Um, no, no, I can't. Um, maybe, you know, Barrington, Barrington, Nutrier have, have similar on the, that we talked about tennis. Those have been the two best teams in the state for a while. And yeah, a couple second places to them. I'm not sure if they took a regular season loss as well, but they took some PK losses to them in the championship and things like that, uh, which is just a bummer. Uh, I'm almost glad that didn't get, have to go to PKs against Libertyville. But I can't remember one specifically. Um, I believe back in like 13, I think GBS beat them in the super sectional after maybe tying in the regular season. Um, really good GBS team. But uh, yeah, pretty heartbreaking for them. I think they had uh, they had hopes. I think they were, you know, they get to state and they're probably favored. Um, I think Libertyville might be. So um, tough loss. Definitely a very tough loss, but uh, obviously a very good season for uh, the Trevians as well. But um, tough to end it in a double overtime loss, especially against a good team like Libertyville. Um, but uh, let's move on over now to boys volleyball, where the um, Academy of Ramblers won uh, their regional matchup, winning the regional against Maine South 25-21, uh, losing the second set 25-18, and then winning 25-15. Um, but then they lost to uh, GBS, uh, 25-19, in a very uh, tight game, obviously, based on the scores, but kind of a surprise as well, where um, we were high on this Loyola team, and then obviously GBS and GBN played um, for a sectional title. But um, how surprised were you guys based on uh, this GBS uh, loss for the Ramblers? I think we thought we would eventually see that Loyola-Glenbrook North matchup that we alluded to, but, you know, it's pretty clear that there's something special cooking at the Glenbrooks this year um, with a really strong team at both GBS and GBN. And uh, that, that match yesterday was a thriller with the Spartans coming out uh, just on top, it seems. So, you know, not, not, not uh, you know, crazy overly shocked, not, you know, stunned by it because, uh, as I mentioned, I think the uh, there's two special programs over there in, in District 225. Um, so, so so surprised, but not stunned. Yeah, I think uh, very similar um, to Marty. I, I think Loyola was favored in the matchup, but I don't think it was a, uh, you know, a double-digit favorite, if you will. Um, so it was going to be close. Glenbrook South was hot, and uh, Loyola was kind of playing um, just solid volleyball. And uh, – um, and the Titans took care of business. I think early in the season, um, we, you know, we considered Loyola with, our, you know, as Loyola state team, we said, yeah, they're capable of it. Uh, I think they came back to earth a little bit. I think they played a lot of volleyball. Um, and I just think they were a, a very good team and maybe just, you know, one of the state's top 16, maybe not one of the state's top eight. We also had uh, the girls' track and field uh, state final take place where we had Loyola and Nutria representation there. Um, Rigid Voodoo for Nutria was the highest uh, finisher for the Trevians in the area, uh, finishing third in the 400 meter with 57.24. Um, that means that she is an all-stater as well as finishing eighth in the long jump at 5.28 meters. 
So congratulations to her. Um, Emma Braband finished 15th and 800 meter at 221.01. And the, the 4x800 team finished 6th with a 934.40 time. Um, for Loyola, Maeve Kelly, or also for Nutri, Maeve Kelly finished 8th in shot put um, and finished 15th in discus. Um, while Sophie Goru finished 22nd in the pole vault um, at 2.89 meters. And then um, for Loyola, Morgan Mackey, freshman uh, superstar, red, led the way for the Ramblers at the state, finishing, finishing all state in the 3,200 with the sixth place uh, finish with a time of 10.55.20. Uh, Mackey also finished 16th in the 1,600 at 5 minutes and 4.23. Uh, Shannon Jorash finished 18th in the 300 meter, uh, meter hurdles, uh, while McKenna Cutoff finished 20th. And then Samantha Sofrant finished 15th in the shot put um, with a 10.88. But uh, a lot of good stuff, guys, from the girls' teams uh, down at the state meet. And obviously, we've got a couple all staters um, in the group this year. Yeah, you got to be happy for uh, Bridget B2. Um, for a third place finish. I think she finished uh, fourth a year ago. So improvement there, um, at least in the placing. And uh, she also got a top 10 finish in long jump. So um, pretty great for that senior. I think, you know, the goal of Nutrier, as they said early in the year, was to send a busload of kids down there. And they did. Um, and that's kind of um, the, you know, one of the unique and fun parts of track is um, seeing how many kids you can take on a bus ride down to central Illinois at the end of the year. That's a big goal. Um, and uh, they were able to take a bus load. So pretty cool stuff for both teams. I think Morgan Mackey um, on Loyola's side, I think we got a, you know, an all state future year after year and a possible state champion coming up. Um, really unique thing about this tournament. And I'm sure you guys saw it is, is the rain um, that delayed it for hours. So they had to finish a lot of these events in the evening under the cover of darkness. So, right. You know, I'm sure that's irritating for a lot of them, you know, and, and just frustrating having to deal with that and wait it out, but kind of cool that they had to do it at night and finish up. Yeah, definitely a very fun uh, atmosphere. At least yeah, I know probably the rain probably got some fans out of there, but um, congratulations to all of them on a great way to end uh, their season. And then uh, to finish off the first quarter, we had the boys track and field uh, sectional take place where Loyola finished second um, in the sectional. Uh, Austin Kabamban finished second in the 400 meters. Uh, Spencer Werner won both the 1600 and the 3200. Uh, the 4x400 team won for Loyola and Clinton Ofosu won the triple jump at 13.26 meters. So all those uh, Ramblers are going down to the state meet. And then Nutrier finished a third with Patrick Jamison winning the 18 or the 800 meter. Um, George Cahill finished second in the 1600 meter. And Charlie Siebert finished second in the 3200. All those guys will be going down to the state meet as well. So congratulations to uh, all of them. And uh, that is uh, everything that we have for the first quarter. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Congratulations Ooh. to everyone, obviously, on uh, what was uh, good seasons and we'll have um, we'll have uh, more playoffs to talk about in the fourth quarter. But why don't we jump on over to the second quarter where we are joined by uh, two uh, athletes and uh, this is a first for us obviously since uh, we've never I don't think we've ever done this in the podcast before I might be wrong but who knows. Um, we'll be first joined by uh, the new Trier uh, in the state of Illinois uh, singles champion uh, Max uh, Bankston. 
Um, Joe, I know you got a chance to catch up with him. So what are we going to hear from Max here in this uh, quick interview? Uh, we're just going to hear him talk about his final match where he was down 5-0 in the first set and how he came back to victory. Talk about how uh, big the team victory as well was important to him and his teammates. All right, let's take a listen. Well, let's start with the end um, and, and you going down, um, I believe, was it 5-0 or, or 5-1 in the first it, it, it was 5-0. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure that maybe that hasn't happened to you too much, but talk about uh, what you had to do to kind of turn things around and how you did it. I mean, the, the biggest thing that was happening in that situation um, was that I just really wasn't playing my best tennis, um, and Max was playing really well. And I think I think really the main thing that I focused on when when that was happening is that I I was just trying to find my way back to my game because if if I'm playing fine as long as i'm not playing awfully like there there shouldn't really be a situation where i'm where i'm having won a single game in the first set um it just normally doesn't really happen um so i was really just focused on trying to trying to find my way back to how i normally strike the ball and just kind of i, I thought about stepping into the ball and being a little bit more aggressive uh because i felt like in the first five games i was a lot on the back foot and max was pushing me around more and that really helped me because then when I started to step into the ball and start pushing him around, it also got him moving and started to get him a little bit more tired, um, which was good because I was the only one really doing running at the start. So, huh. how, how difficult is that to do to make those in-game adjustments, you know, in the middle uh, of a championship match like that, you know, maybe in between matches, but how difficult is it to do in match? I mean, it's, to to kind of to have the idea to have the idea and be willing to kind of rethink exactly everything you're doing, um, especially if it's something that you're kind of comfortable with, even if it's not working, is is kind of tougher to do. Um, for me, actually implementing the changes, I think it's not always that it works. Sometimes you try it, but you're just you're having an off day, and it might not work, um, even even if your intentions are right. So I think I, I think it's pretty difficult. Um, but I, the, luckily, luckily, I was able to make them work this weekend. Okay, and um, you know, state champion, just uh, that that designation, that that award. What does that mean to you? Just it means a lot that I'm finally able to 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 win uh, the state tournament because it's such a big it's such a big tournament. And it's such a fun tournament. Um, there's nothing really else that compares to it that I've experienced in tennis so far. Even like some of the national things, like being at Kalamazoo, which is the big national tournament. It's it's cool and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. But state state is even more unique, I would say, um, and it has a very certain atmosphere. That's awesome. Um, and you know, just not having, I'm sure, um, going in the last year, you. Maybe you were confident or maybe you just, you know, wanted to get back to it. How difficult was it missing um, a year um, of high school tennis? I mean, I think it was I think it was tough for everyone. Um, it was especially considering, like I was saying, what happened sophomore year. Um where where we we really had a serious shot to get the team title um and it, it all kind of fell apart and uh on friday in the quarters and i think not being able to play last year was kind of a 
tough for everyone because we felt like we we wanted to make up for what happened and we didn't want kind of that sour taste in our mouth um so I think going into this year, to, to be honest, I think it just made everyone more motivated, and it really, really helped us to be like, this is this is finally like this is the year we're gonna have to we're gonna have to work even harder than what we have before because uh, everyone really wanted it, um, which I think was a really good thing, all things considered, because it, it gave us the team title, which is something that means a lot to me um, and a lot to the team because it's just something that all of us. I mean, I have we we have a great senior class graduating this year, um, and we're all just close. Really, really like good friends, and um, I think we all just really wanted the team title. So that was that was a big motivator for me um, to work even harder. All right, thanks so much, Max, for joining us. And now we're going to hear from uh, Ellie Lazarado, who had uh, some obviously emotional and fun things to say after winning a sectional title against uh, Nutrier on Friday night. She'll talk about um, coming back down from seven to one. How she as a, as a senior knew she had to. Uh, lead by example and couldn't get too down by it. So uh, let's take a listen to uh, Ellie now. What are you feeling right now? Obviously, overtime thriller. I mean, just what are your feelings yeah, right now? Yeah, um, I'm just so stoked for this team. Um, everybody did their job. We just, we never got down ourselves. Um, this team is just remarkable. It, it's just the most special group of girls and we come together so well. Um, and, you know, I think everybody had the game two years ago, May 24th, 2019. That was when we lost to Nutrier. And we actually were down 7-1 in that game, too. And we, it got pretty out of hand pretty fast. So I think um, just harping on our, our mental um, aspect of the game, we came together as a team and we got the job done. It was just the most special thing in the world. Was they like, going through your mind and your guys' mind just 7-1, same exact moment two years later? I mean, were you guys thinking about that? Um, a little bit. I think being hard down, uh, being down is hard regardless of, you know, the past situations. But... As a senior, I was just like, I need to think about next play, next play, because if I get down and I start thinking about it, everyone's going to read off of me, and I can't do that to my team. So, yeah. What were they doing so early that they were able to get off there at 7? Yeah, you know, they have a – give them credit. They have one of the best draw teams in the state. It's hard to win the game when you don't have the ball. Um, but, I mean, our defense and our goalie, Caroline Smith, came up so clutch for us. Um, and just, you know, we played lights out. We never gave up, and that was that was the difference. Those last two minutes, you guys are down by two. I mean, obviously, Smith is able to just jump on the ball yeah. and get you guys the yeah. momentum. I mean, how much of that, does that just kind of get you guys going to um, want to, like, do it for her at least? Yep, Caroline's been battling injuries all season. She's having surgery in the summer. So to see her, a senior who's hurt, very hurt, lay out on the turf like that to make one last play as a senior, I don't know how that couldn't hype you up. I mean, I, she did that, and I was like, all right, I got to do my job now, you know? Yeah. So it was awesome. What are you thinking in overtime? I mean, obviously you got the possession, you got the chance to win. I mean, what are you, what's just going through your mind at that moment? Um, I'm just thinking it's any other play, right? Anyone on our team, before we broke the huddle, I said everyone on this team is capable of getting the ball and burying it in the back of the cage. So just when I got that shot, I was like, I'm, I'm just another one of these girls. I can bury this ball. What do you got? I mean, obviously, this felt like a state title game. Yeah. I mean, so how do you guys kind of build off of this yep. for your like, next, next yeah. game? Um, well, the past two weeks, we've just been talking about we've got six games left. You know, after our first regular season game, he said uh, we've been harping on 0-0. Everyone's 0-0 in the state. Um, so this is just game three of six. You know, it's a bigger one just because Nutria is a phenomenal team. But just game three of six, and we got we got three more before the job's done. Thanks so much, Ellie, for joining us. And thanks to Max and Ellie for joining us. Congratulations on your wins. And always good to get your guys' insight on um, some fun moments uh, for both of your teams. But we're halfway through the podcast. Let's give a quick thanks to our sponsor, the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. They have many locations in the Chicago area, so make sure you check them out. 
move better, and live better. All right, we are entering the third quarter, which means we are going to play our weekly guessing game of way or no way. Um, and it's probably going to be the last time we'll probably get all five questions in since this is going to be the last week of uh, full competition. But uh, weekly guessing game where Joe and Marty uh, say a proposition that I said could happen or it cannot happen. Uh, so, Marty, let's start with you. Way or no way that the Loyola uh, girls lacrosse team loses to Hinsdale Central in the state semifinals? I'm going to go no way on this one. I think this is a team on a mission. Um, you know, after that, vi- after that victory over New Trier that we t- discussed earlier, um, I think they're poised to, to win the state title here. This seems like the um, state title game, the semifinal matchup, because if they were to win this game, then they would play either Bennett or GBS. I believe they've beaten GBS already earlier this year. Not sure on Bennett would have to check on that, but um, this seems like it will be the tougher matchup for them. Uh, two one seeds in the state semifinals, you know, that uh, kind of feels like it should be the championship game, as I mentioned, but I think this is a team on a, on a mission. Like I'm, like I said, they've got great senior leadership. Um, you know, the captains have stepped up for them all year. So I'm going to say no way. And I think that uh, the Ramblers are going to be state champs. I'm going to agree with them. I'm on the, I'm on the bandwagon here. Let's go. Let's, uh, uh, Hinsdale Central, like we talked about, or like you guys just mentioned there, the um, one, two, three is, is Loyola, Nutrient, Hinsdale Central, however you want to put it. So uh, this also should be the final matchup if it wasn't going to be with Nutrient, but it is now, and I think Loyola's just got the goods. I think they take them down. All right, Joe, way or no way that the Loyola Academy boys lacrosse team wins their next two games by at least five points? Oh, boy. way let's go i like that um i say they win win by at least five um i think it'll be it's it's not going to be easy um i think they got wheaton academy to start i think the bottom half is lake forest and york york york's lord york's legit so i think it'll be them in york um but i think they still win that one let's say just by six eleven to five yeah, I'm going to disagree and go no way here. I agree with Joe in the sense that I think it will be Loyola-York in the championship game. They matched up earlier in the season. It was a 10-8 game. So I'm not going to go as far as to say that they'll be able to tack on three more and make it at least a five-goal difference. Um, I'm going to say that that ends very similarly to the regular season matchup, but I'll go a, um, a three-goal difference for the Ramblers in the state championship. So I won't go as high as five, but – I do think they will also prevail as state champs on the boys' side. All right. Uh, way or no way, Marty, that Loyola and Nutrier boys track will have some all-state uh, finishers at the state meet this weekend? Uh, I'll say I'll say way here on this one. I think that's pretty easy. Um, you know, both these programs, as we've talked about in previous episodes, have a lot of depth to their rosters, and um, you know they'll they'll be sending a lot from each roster down down to state. So. I think the chance that, uh, that we'll see at least one, if not multiple, is pretty high. So I'll say way here. Yeah, I'll say way too. Uh, similar thoughts to Marty. I think in the 3,200, I think Nutrient Loyal have the top three times going into state. So um, and, you know, some epic collapse or some problem with the, with the seed times, um, I think we'll see some All-State there, maybe even a state champion, whether it's Spencer Warner from uh, – Loyola or Nick Falk from uh, Nutria or somewhere in between. 
All right, Joe, way or no way that the Nutria boys tennis team is the most dominating program in Nutria history? Oh. <laughs> 22 state titles. Um, thir- three, wait, what I said, four since 2010. I think I put that in the story. Uh, a few individual champions. But then you go to swimming. And... They're up there too, and, and they have more state champions. That Some of the state champions that came out of Nutria, both girls and boys, I don't know if you're just talking boys, um, have been just probably the best senior seasons in history. We've, we've got – got kids that have won all four of the races at state meets. You know, they, they were undefeated basically. So if we had to pick one out of the – I think those two are the two you're looking at for most dominant – uh, program in Nutrier. I think I'm going to go swimming. So no way. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll agree with Joe here and say no way as well. And that's not to take anything away from the tennis program because Joe mentioned the accolades are there and they're obviously jaw dropping and incredibly impressive. So it's not to take anything away, but it's more so just a case of that. There are so many great programs throughout the school and, um, you know, Joe mentioned swimming. I, I think I'll throw lacrosse in there in the conversation as well on, on both sides of the aisle, boys and girls. Um, you know, you, you look at what they've been able to accomplish, particularly recently, and uh, that's nothing to, uh, to bat an eye at. So some really impressive uh, athletic programs up and down the school. So it's hard to, uh, to sort of single out one and say that they're the uh, quote unquote best. All right, and to finish things off, Marty, way or no way that this season's Nutria baseball team is the best in the last decade? Best in the last decade. That is a tough one um, because they reached the same point in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and they had a state champion winner in 2009, which would be just outside the decade um, of discussion that we're talking. I know Joe will know this more so than myself, but there were probably some Charlie Tilson years in there uh, that had some pretty incredible teams. Oh, I'm going to say uh, no way on this one, just because it's, uh, it's a little bit of, you know, not, not being able to know what some of those earlier teams was like, were like, um, and that's not to take anything away from this year's team, because I, as I've said, you know, many times on this podcast, I think this year's team was really talented, and the possibility, I think, remains intact that next year's team might even be just as talented, if not more talented, because they're bringing back, um, you know, by my count, at least five starters from their lineup that they sent out there Monday night. Um, they're bringing back, back a couple really talented arms. And um, some of these hitters that they're bringing back are just going to be juniors next year. Um, and then they'll also have um, – you know, three or four big time bats who will be progressing from their junior to senior year. Um, Lewis, Florida, Alex Mendez, uh, Maestros is going to be a, a junior next season. And he already was a big contributor for them this year. Um, Brendan Stressler will be a senior next year for him. So they're bringing back tons of talent next year and they've got that big game experience from this year. So I think they will be really dangerous next season as well, but I'm going to say no way. I'm with Marty. I'm going to say no way as well. You know, that 2017 team won 30 games. And obviously this team didn't have the chance to do that in a, in a kind of condensed season. But, uh, I mean, they lost 
14 times or 11 or 12 times, maybe. Um, we're not going to see that. That's a good season, but it's just not as dominating, if, that, if that's the question. Um, good team. I think this team this year was really well composed. It felt like they were just solid all the way across. So, which means, you know, they, they can compete with anybody and they'll string together wins here or there. And I think that's what happened in the postseason. I just don't, I think they lacked maybe a elite uh, superstar um, pitcher. And, yeah. Um, and maybe a superstar batter, you know, Calerico's going to Northwestern and he's a stud, but around him were just a ton of really good hitters. And I think Marty mentioned it. I think we're going to get to a point in the next season or two that this team does get back to that elite single digit loss type of season. Um, if, you know, everybody continues to play in barring injuries, I think that they have the talent on this roster in the underclass to do some damage. The Tilson years, um, kind of a similar story. Tilson was obviously a superstar Illinois Gatorade player of the year, um, but they weren't dominant because everybody just pitched around Tilson. I think is open. Oh, you know, on base percentage was like 670 or 700. It was crazy. Uh, no one wanted a piece of them. Um, so everyone pitched around them and um, they were just good, but they didn't advance past the region. A lot of good talent. I remember, I think they lost to Lane and then Tilson year as well. So um, some good baseball, but uh, so I'll say, no, I say that 2016 and the 17 team were a bit more dominant. All right, folks, there you have a way or no way, some good dialogue there. Um, as we debate uh, some of the topics we're uh, talking about right now. But let's go on over now to the fourth quarter where we're going to preview um, what is left of uh, the sports seasons for the 2020-2021 school year. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit while we're looking forward to the summer in, as we uh, finish things off. But um, we talked about it a little bit. But let's get a little bit more into it. Uh, Girls Across takes on Hinsdale Central on Thursday. Um, in the state semifinals and then would play Bennett or GBS in either the state championship or the third place game. Um, just how dumb is it that they're playing Hinsdale Central? Um, I mean, after, I mean, just the coaches wanted to be polite after Friday's game, but both coaches, I feel like, knew um, that that should have been the state title game. I mean, you saw it in the final score. You saw how tight it was. And then obviously Hinsdale Central, a team uh, that beat New Trier earlier this year, um, Obviously, it, you got to beat the teams eventually. So I'm sure for a lot of the players and coaches, it doesn't really matter when you do it. You just got to do it eventually. Um, but then I feel like it takes away from a state title game, which might not be as close as it should have been for a sectional final or that. But um, so what is wrong with IHSA and how are we going to solve this problem? I guess is my question for you guys. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's really an unfortunate situation. And uh probably most upsetting thing is that it's an easier fix than they're making it out to be as we've talked about before on this podcast, but you know, you were there covering it, Michael. So imagine just how heightened that game would have been that Loyola Nutria game would have been if the state title was on the line, obviously it was a phenomenal game, you know, tremendous back and forth uh, game, you know, playoff atmosphere, playoff field, playoff game. But imagine if that was for the state title instead of, um, just for the chance to advance to the super sectional. So it, uh, it would be awesome if that is how the season ended. And, you know, you should want your sport, if you're the IHSA, you should want the sport to end with the two best teams playing in the last game. That, I think, is how everyone who enjoys a sport wants to see a season end. You want to see the two best teams go at it in the last game. And we, I think it's fair to say we're not going to get that in, uh, in lacrosse on either side. 
And you know what it does? Um, it amplifies the good tennis that's being played in the state. So having Loyola and Nutrier or even, you know, Loyola and Hinsdale playing not at a state site, like this is the state site, having them play at Loyola, then it's for Loyola and Nutrier fans. It's not for casual lacrosse fans who just want to see great lacrosse. It's for those fans exclusively. So how do you grow the sport um, across the state if, if you're hiding these matchups in the playoffs? Um, and that's another reason you really want those teams to play at, at the highest level is to uh, show it off uh, great lacrosse to anybody who might be watching and kids too, get them into the sport. If uh, their parents are going to bring them in to watch some great lacrosse. So uh, it's really a shame. And I, I just don't, I don't, it doesn't, I, I try to think of it, right? Because there's a lot of smart people at the IHSA. So it's not like they haven't thought of this. And the only reason I can think they don't do it, and not just the sport brothers, is because they want to stay out of the fray. They don't want to uh, upset the status quo and pick a side, if you will. Um, because if, if you're in charge now, the IHSA, of picking seeds at the highest level, you're under more scrutiny. So maybe they don't feel qualified. Maybe they don't feel like uh, uh, they want that heat. They want that smoke, as, as the kids like to say. Um, <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> uh, maybe they don't, and that's all I can think of. Uh, which we've called them cowards on the on the pod before, but uh, it's all that that part's all in good fun. But for real, like you can't. It's it's an injustice to the kids. It's an injustice to the sport, uh, and of course the coaches too. To have the two best teams play in anything before the state tournament. Um, Maybe there's a discrepancy over who's the best one, two, who's the best three, fours, things like that. Let that be what it is and let people complain, but let it happen at the state tournament. Like having the two best teams play in a sectional or even a regional sometimes, uh, depending on the sport, is a, is a travesty. That stinks. Um, and all this comes back, by the way, and I like to throw in my little antidotes, back to my high school days where our volleyball team was a top five ranked team and Providence was also top five ranked and so was Sanford and we were all in the same sectional. So we all had to beat each other up when really eight teams go to state and only one of us got to. So, and of course it was Sanford, but anyway, there, it just seems <laughs> obvious that you, you seed it maybe a bigger geographic area because obviously how do you tell if the two best teams you think uh, are Nutrier and Loyola and maybe normal West, you're not going to drag, you know, that makes sense to me where you keep them in a geography um, in a certain sense, but <clears throat> around the same area, you got to separate them, take a bigger geographic area, make it like a 16 seed thing. I don't know. It just seems so simple to me to just seed it correctly. So teams can possibly have the chance to meet up in a state final. It's a great point that you brought up, Joan. I think it's worth um, following up on a little bit, but, I think the worst thing is that it just creates a situation that becomes so tough on the players um, just from a mental perspective, because anytime you lose a, a postseason game, obviously it's heartbreaking. It's, it's not what you're hoping for. It's not how you want to finish, but it's much more encouraging. I would say from a mental perspective, from a, you know, let's build on this moving forward from a, you know, this was a great year perspective if that loss comes in the state championship game, as opposed to, you know, three, four games away from the state championship, it, 
feels like you can end the season on a much higher note if you're calling yourself the second place state finisher as opposed to, you know, we finished 10th or whatever, or we just were able to, to win our regional, but not our sectional. So it's, it's really unfortunate in that sense, I think, because, you know, at the end of the day, these are high school kids and yeah, they turn the scoreboards on for a reason and we have competition for a reason and we award trophies for a reason, but you know, it's, it's still just a game for the kids to have fun and, you know, to, to finish the year on a positive mental note, I think would go a long way. And, and state is an event, right? For most sports, it's an event. It's a thing. So it's, pro- it's an experience you'll probably never forget the rest of your life. Right. So if you're Naperville Central and Naperville North, and we'll, let's, say, let's say it's softball, both teams go 30 and one and they beat each other. They're the two best teams in the state. Everybody knows. But they got to play in a sectional. Those kids don't get a chance to go to I'm, – I'm totally blanking on where softball goes to play the state finals. I want to say ISU. But anyway, um, they don't get to – that whole team doesn't get to go. They work their butt off. They're the second best team in the state. Everyone knows it, but they got to play their final game two blocks away instead of playing on the biggest stage. They deserve to go. They, they put in the work. They put in, they have the resume. We got to eliminate that somehow, or at least lessen the chances of that happening somehow. I think it's possible. Yeah, definitely. And uh, um, so we probably won't get any jobs in the IHSA or anytime soon. So that's fine. But um, let's look at this matchup where we have Hinsdale Central taking on Loyola. Um, Loyola beat Hinsdale Central twice already, 12 to 7 and 15 to 7. So seven seems to be the magic number for the Ramblers keeping them down. Um, and, uh, oh, and they lost to Nutria 19 to seven too. So it seems in all three of their losses, they couldn't score more than seven goals, but, um, we talked a little bit about it in the third quarter, but, um, what is your guys is, uh, obviously I think you both said Loyola is going to win, but, um, what are you guys expecting in their, uh, state semifinal matchup here? Yeah, this is a great team and great teams when it matters, when it matters most take care of business. So I would be stunned if they lost quite frankly so I think they'll pretty handedly get by Hinsdale and then in the championship game they'll take care of business and make sure that that game's finished up early on so I would be I'd be really really surprised if they lost yeah me too and I think uh <clears throat> whole roster's good whole roster's talented but I mean you look look to Ellie Lazarado to just really not let that happen kind of similar to what she did against Nutrier um, they're going to feed her early. She's going to run, run those plays for her and she's going to take care of business. She puts it in the net. That's what she does. So, um, I mean, I, I can't imagine a team, they haven't yet being able to hold Ellie under, you know, four goals, four or five. So you give loyal of that, uh, how do you beat them, um, at this point? So, yeah, I agree with Mart. I think they're, I'd, I'd also be very shocked if they lost. Um, I think they're on a run here and they, they're, they're going to take it. <clears throat> The Ramblers are also fighting for a perfect season as they have still not lost this year. So we'll see if they'll be able to uh, finish that undefeated campaign with two more games left in the year. Um, the Loyola Academy boys lacrosse team takes on Whedon Academy, and then they'll either take on Lake Forest or York in either the championship game or the state cha- or the third place game on Saturday. Um, and obviously we can retweet the same arguments we made. Um, in the for the girls across team. So, I mean, what are you guys expecting in this matchup against Whedon Academy and then um, either against Lake Forest or York? Yeah. yeah. I, 
Um, Wheaton Academy is a good program. Um, so is York. Um, but I, and uh, down there, I forgot the other team. You just said Lake Forest. Um, so, but I think Loyola is clearly coming into these, this final four as the favorite. I think they've earned that right, um, especially by beating Nutrier um, and, and looking pretty good doing it. So, uh, yeah, I think they're the favorite. And I, I think they, they kind of skate by both these teams, to be honest. Like I, like I said in the way or no way, I just think they have um, such a balanced roster and scoring attack. And uh, they're very fast um, on the counterattack. It's very impressive and also a bit humbling to watch how fast they are uh, <laughs> getting up the field after, after whether it's a takeaway or, um, you know, uh, just a missed shot or something. So, um, yeah, I like Loyola a lot. They're confident. They're playing their best. They're, they're on a roll right now. And that goes a long way at this time of the year. As we talked about, I think that championship game, I think York will advance and I think it'll be a little bit closer maybe than um, you guys had predicted. I think I said three goals, so I'll stick with that. Um, But I would still be pretty surprised if they didn't come out as a winner uh, of that game in the ultimate state champ. So, I expect them to take care of business. I think we all can agree that we expect both Rambler programs to uh, hoist trophies later this week. All right. And then our final uh, bit of uh, uh, sports for this calendar year or the school year, I guess, is uh, boys track taking place at state. We talked a little bit about it in a way or no way, but um, what are you guys expecting from our area teams and uh, um, just how, uh, how, I, I feel like the biggest thing for us is like the distance runners, it seems like for Spencer Werner and Nick Falk and that kind of stuff and uh, what they're going to be able to accomplish down in state this weekend. Yeah, we had a chance to see uh, a lot of these runners really shine in the fall during the cross country season. Werner uh, on Loyola and Falk, as you mentioned, were um, two stars during the fall season and you expect them to continue that here Um in the spring at the state, uh, at, at state. So I could be mistaken, but I believe Werner is only a junior. So I expect a very bright future for him and potentially maybe even uh, a really strong season next year, coming back on the cross country side of things in the fall. So um, I, I enjoyed covering them both in, in the fall on the cross country scene and expect that uh, they'll deliver really strong results here as well as they did so in the fall. Yeah, I think that's going to be a heck of a race. Um, they know each other well with, you know, there's more nuance to distance running than, you know, it kind of is perceived. And I, I don't get it personally. I'm not a runner, but, um, you know, they know what they're doing. And But Warner's got a like a five-second lead on the seed times. Um, so I think uh, it's Charlie Siebert and Nick Falk from, from Nutria who are right behind him <clears throat> in those spots. I, I think they know Spencer's the favorite and what they might have to do, but also it might be a lost cause because he's just that much faster. So we'll see how on how an even course it plays for the remainder remainder of the field. But I think that's going to be a race to look for and, and something to celebrate here at the North Shore. Yeah, definitely will be something to look forward to as we look forward to the final weekend of sports for this cal- for the school calendar year. And, um, we'll obviously spend a lot of time on uh, the summer as we get into the next few episodes as the summer podcast come into bloom. But, um, what are some things that you guys are looking forward to this summer as we, uh, finish things up here? We're probably about a month away from seven on sevens, uh, if not even sooner on the football side of things, and then probably 
schedule release very soon after that. So, uh, you know, this, this podcast loves its football. So we're excited about that. And uh, as we were talking before we started recording, that'll be here before you know it. So, um, you know, in addition to that, just really excited to have a, I should say excited and hopeful to have a normal fall season um, coming up at the start of next school year with, you know, the, the full rotation of sports being back going at once. Um, obviously this has been great covering all these sports in this season at once, but it's, it's taxing and it's not allowing us to devote our coverage resources as effectively as possible because there's so much happening at once. So I'm looking forward to getting back to the traditional balance of fall, spring, winter sports. Yeah, me too. And it's definitely a, um, a first world problem to have, but shout out to Regina Dominican soccer who advanced the sectional championship. Shout out to North shore country day soccer. who had another great year. Um, there's just a lot of teams. We didn't get to as much volleyball as we usually like to cover. Um, you know, we could go on and on about the teams we didn't get to, um, you know, track and field. Um, we, we didn't get to as much as we want and usually do. So shout out to all those teams and their amazing seasons. Um, and congrats to all those players. Sorry we couldn't get there. So Marty, I'm with you. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, get back to that schedule where we can, we can breathe and also get to the events we want to. This summer, um, seven on sevens are going to be fun. I think both uh, Loyola's Loyola is going to Loyola uh, and come back with a great team. But I think we're pretty pumped about um, new Trier as a lot of underclassmen played some skilled positions and um, see what they can do, have fun this summer, develop their skills and come right back uh, for maybe a, a pretty special season. Um, baseball starts up on the 21st already. I just checked the Wilmette wave schedule, which is kind of like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> league that Napoleon also usually gets right back out there and coaches. So um They'll be back out there on the 21st um, in the same league, you know, South. They're not technically affiliated with the school, but it's Glenbrook South players some some Niles West, I think a Niles West teams in there and they play in a tournament. It looks like at the end of the month. So baseball's back. Some basketball leagues already going on, um, you know, hone their skills over the summer. So we'll have plenty to talk about, but really, you know, check out the, the, the record North shore.org for some youth coverage too. We're working with the Trevian softball and, um, some other organizations that are going to have some submitted some youth content over the summer, which um, is always great for, for our local club. Yeah, definitely. Make sure you guys are checking out all that for all the fun sports coverage you have and you want and desire. And that's everything that we've got for you guys in this week's episode of the varsity podcast. A uh, quick reminder, just to uh, subscribe to the podcast and to uh, tell your friends that the podcast is uh, anywhere that uh, they like to listen to podcasts. We're at, um, Apple, iTunes, uh, Android, Spotify, what have you, we're all there. Um, so make sure you are spreading the word and give us a nice little review as well if you like what you're listening to. Listen to uh, um, old episodes of the podcast as well and make sure, like we mentioned, you're catching up with the recordnorthshore.org for all the latest coverage. I'm sure um, we'll have more coverage of this weekend's final event. So make sure you're checking up there. But um, that's everything we've got for you guys this week. So for Joe, Marty, and I, thanks so much for joining us this week. And we will talk to you guys down the road. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Varsity uh, product of the record, northshore.org. 
your nonprofit local newsroom. The Varsity is presented by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute with more than 150 fellowship trained physicians in every orthopedic specialty and dozens of locations across Chicagoland and the suburbs. IBJI is your choice for patient-focused orthopedic care. To find the nearest location, visit IBJI.com.